Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here with one of our guest hosts, uh, Michael Fearon, who comes to us with an interesting background in uh, kind of disaster management, in teaching, he's in learning development, and he's also a, an army reservist. Uh, and I'd love if you shared in your own words, like what are you doing now? And then we'll get into the backstory of how you got there. Okay. Um, well, right now I'm with the Ministry of Labor. Um, I'm doing learning and development. And what that means is it's a lot of corporate learning and development. And it uh, involves developing learning material and learning modules. Uh, we get to play with stuff like Premiere and doing video editing. At the same time, we do Captivate just to do general e-learnings and talking to corporate stakeholders. But when I'm not there in my free time or uh, like what I like to call it, time away, uh, I teach at a Ryerson University still um, in disaster management. And um, twice a week, I work with the Canadian Armed Forces as a reservist. That's awesome. So if we can go back a little bit in, in time and talk to us about uh, Michael as a kid. What were you like growing up? Were there any kind of early fond memories or, or how were some of the influence along the way that, that kind of got you to where you are? Well, um, I would have to say as a kid, the biggest influence was definitely the discovery of dinosaurs. Okay. I'm pretty sure around <laughs> 10 years old, that is where it's at. It was um, knowing all of them and knowing what they were like in their environment and discovering that. I was generally extremely quiet. I okay. loved playing with Lego, I love building stuff, and I love just um, trying to discover and learn things. And that pretty much, I think, was the driving force for later that I didn't realize yet at that time. But if you told me something to do back then, it'd be build Lego or watch the Discovery Channel. That, <laughs> those were the things that definitely wanted to do. That's awesome. So can you remember like uh, your favorite dinosaur, the, the most kind of obscure the one that you know? The Velociraptor has okay. to be, is always, Good way to go. Definitely. And, and is that because of Jurassic Park or is there some, some other influence on that? Or? Um, no, not really because of Jurassic Park, actually. It was when I, when I discovered Jurassic Park dinosaurs or velociraptors were much more closer to Deinonychus's and I discovered that raptors were smaller and had feathers about the size of a chicken. Sure. At that point, I was like, so I can get this as a pet, right? <laughs> about dog size. Yeah. So that, that's pretty much how that got. Yeah, they <laughs> could roam around in your uh, house, but it's a pretty vicious pet, I would imagine. But <laughs> uh, Yeah, I, would, I didn't think that far. But, you know, as a kid, you always <laughs> think that the dinosaurs are going to be friendly. <laughs> cool. So, so you were a bit of a quiet kid. You love learning, the Discovery Channel, Lego, and things like that. And then what were some of the influences along the way that kind of pointed you to things like, like teaching, things like uh, disaster uh, management? Um, actually, oddly enough, what pointed me towards teaching was actually things that I couldn't do more so than things that I could do, uh, which is an odd way to go. But uh, fun fact, I'm dyslexic, extremely <laughs> dyslexic. So um, reading text is not exactly a fun suit. And as a kid growing up, uh, that was a struggle, a constant struggle um, by grade two uh, teacher, a uh, teacher at that time. Uh, pretty much told my parents, you know, he, he might not learn how to read in the future. So, you know, might have to find alternatives. And uh, okay. pretty much, even though I was a horrible writer, um, <laughs> horrible reader, I have an amazing retention for facts and knowledge. And as I went forward, I discovered that maybe that would be something 
good to go for. I could present on things and that would be the direction that I went towards. So I started being focused on teaching to figure out how to help other kids like myself. Um, and that really drove me into the direction of going into teaching, becoming a camp counselor in um, uh, underprivileged neighborhoods, um, really trying to find a way for a lot of the beginning part of my career or a beginning part of my journey uh, to find a way to help other people like myself. That, that's interesting. So I, I didn't know that about you. And, and I don't know if you're willing to share, but like, what is it like as, as a dyslexic to, to, to try to uh, read something? So for me, I mean, I see words on the page and it comes fairly easily, but uh, can you even describe that, that uh, feeling? Um, it, it, uh, it seems totally different to me. So it's different over time, uh, I would say. And I feel it's as you get used to it, <laughs> it is okay. the way I describe it. When I first started off reading, um, it was like words are dancing on the page. It's just letters okay. are just like waves uh, across the page. And as time goes on, um, I've, it, I found it much more difficult on very specific letters. So uh, P's and Q's, B's and D's, um, any shape that was similar that when you flipped the other way is a completely different letter. So right. for the longest time, uh, lowercase B's and lowercase D's looked the same to me. Right. Uh, so by high school, I started changing how I wrote B's. So I used the cursive B because it was a completely different loop symbol and didn't have the full closure. So it looked different. Um, but even to today, it still, uh, it still happens. Uh, uh, the other thing I'd say is use, or for me, uh, everybody's experience is different. I tended to memorize words hmm. because breaking them down into phonetic sounds didn't make sense to me. Okay. Uh, until a lot later on that I realized, oh, letters make individual sounds <laughs> and have individual <laughs> meanings. You'd think you'd learn this earlier, but this is part of the challenge of uh, learning disabilities. You kind of, uh, it's its own discovery game of trying to figure out what works for you and what tool works for you. Cool. Did, did you ever have like an aha moment where, okay, now this worked or was there a specific like tool set um, that, that, that really helped you? You mentioned like the Curse of B, which I, I think is, is quite ingenious. <laughs> yeah, totally uh, different, but. Pretty much, yeah, that was the main uh, moments. Uh, pretty much I was just going like, okay, what will work? And you throw past at the wall and you figure out what works. And I think um, there was a book called Much Later On uh, by this point, I figured out how to read properly, or close to. I wouldn't say I've got to being proper at it. Um, it was a Stories of the Giant Squid, and it was a book on, um, and I think that's the correct title. I might correct it if I double check. Sure. But pretty much the book's entire idea was looking at how um, learning disabilities affect people. And that was actually the first book that I read that helped me realize that words were made of individual sounds like Lego blocks. And once I understood that, I started actually improving drastically because it kind of connected to like, oh, you can build things with your words. That's, that's amazing. So, sounds. <laughs> so, so it sounds like uh, reading is, is one of those skills where a lot of us take for granted because it's, it's easy. But if you have things like them dancing around the page or whatever, it makes it a little bit more challenging. And, and it, there are ways to, to cope with it, to adjust to it and, and, and get better at it. Um, so for those that, that are struggling with things like dyslexia, then, then there, there's hope uh, and, and then you can uh, even become a teacher <laughs> if, if, if you oh, want. Yeah, you, can, you can pretty much do anything. Um, you just have to uh, learn your way, 
of uh, dealing with it and uh, explore options and you'll find a way uh, to cope and actually excel and be great. Cool. And I'm curious about like the, the whole mindset aspect of it, because once you're kind of labeled as uh, dyslexic, as learning disabled, it's, it's, it's quite challenging for, for, for young children and stuff. Were you of the mindset where you're, you're a bit more positive and, and more um, kind of um, on that side of the spectrum, or you were a little bit more, well, it, it, this is actually something that, that I'm having trouble with and, and, I, and, I, and it brings me down a little bit. Um, you know what? A little bit of, all of them, uh, okay. and you have your moments. Uh, so I know back in the day, a long time ago in grade school, uh, <laughs> about in grade four or five, uh, that's when I was going through the assessment process. So I ended up going to OISE a lot of times to be assessed to figure out what's going on or what's okay. happening or why is, you know, pretty much it's like the mechanic shop for your reading and brain <laughs> is how I like to think about it. It's not fun. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, as a, as a fun thing to do. But at that point, I don't even think I comprehended the idea that there was something seriously wrong with me. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, it just kind of exists within your world. And the only time that you feel that something's really wrong is when you do that horrible exercise where they go around the classroom and everybody reads a line of the book gotcha. and you start going like, Oh, sweet God. <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, I don't know what to say. And you start trying to do math games to guess when it's your turn and how many lines somebody's going to read so that you can memorize that line before you have to say it. Right. And pray that you read enough before. So you have um, moments of being, uh, maybe I'm special because I have mutant skills. And then other moments of just being uh, just aside from the rest of the world. And you kind of exist in these two realms of just going between moments of like, man, I got through that word today. I got this. I'm special. I'm great. To the other side of being like, oh, no, you're not even on the playing field of the skill or ability. So I think you, you get uh, to cope with both. And I think in coping with both, you find that your own inner strength in it and you find your own story in it and you find a way to uh, actually succeed in a lot of environments just because you're not afraid of that embarrassment in one sense. And on the other side, you came up with all these ingenious ways to cope. So you get a nice mixed bag. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a great uh, way to cope always because, you know, it's challenging and uh, can be traumatic. But at the same time, I, I do see the positives that come out of it. Right. I'm reminded of a quote, something to the effect of like, Oftentimes, you you learn more from your 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 failures and your embarrassments than your successes, right? So it, it yeah. kind of speaks to me. And were there a lot of um, folks around you that that kind of supported you in that, or was this kind of like a you know what it, it's all in my head and I got to figure it out on my own? I uh, know there's lots of people that uh, tried to support me, um, and in their own ways, really focused on trying to get me to be better to succeed in school. I come from a family that's really dedicated to education. Um, my grandmother spent hours with me uh, early on in my schooling, making sure that I went through my lessons, helping me with my reading and doing all that um, and making sure that was great. My mom spent untold hours helping me edit my papers in university because I have great ideas, but when it comes to putting them down, it just becomes jumble. The structure's not there. Um, I 
me and my mom had a running joke throughout my entire university uh, career of my wall of shame quotes. And it was uh, <laughs> were, uh, sentences that I put into essays that were just the worst, <laughs> worst <laughs> grammatically, but really funny if you read them. Cool. And um, my mom spent so much time with me uh, sitting through that and doing that. And then on the other side, um, my dad showed, uh, my dad struggled with dyslexia and he became successful in his own right. So there was always a model that you could get over it. And there was real support in the ways that matter. Of just sitting with there and having people present in the struggle, if I could describe it. Yeah, it sounds like having that model uh, really helped. And then obviously a lot of support and, and people uh, willing to work with you for your successes. Uh, definitely an important part in dealing with uh, something like that. And uh, it all starts with you to say that you can do it. <laughs> and then uh, all the support will, will help. So we'll talk to us a little bit about uh, kind of that journey into into teacher's college, right? So did you already know in uh, in, in high school that that's what you were going to do? Or, or was it like a little bit later on? Or what was that process like? Um, actually, it was the second year of uh, university or after first year that I figured out teaching was something I was going to go into. Um, pretty much I will be honest in this moment that most of my plan to high school was just to get into university because I didn't think I was going to make it by the way that I was performing and going into grade 12. Um, by that point I failed math, uh, had to retake it again. I had an English grade of 60%. So this is grade 11, you know, one more year, uh, luckily in Grade 12, I uh, had a great English teacher that actually let me take a lot of my uh, tests orally so I could just talk about some of my written tests. So okay. that boosted my grade. Got into university, was just thrilled to get in there. I uh, got at York. And then I discovered that you could do a concurrent program. So you could do your undergraduate at the same time as your teacher's college. And I was like, well, if I'm going to be here, might as well go for the two for one deal, right? It's about All the right. same price. <laughs> um, I had been doing camp counseling and I've been I had been um, uh, working with youth for at that point for a good amount of time so teaching just made sense right. uh, so I just kind of hopped on that of going in that direction and also you know can make a difference so that's why I went into teaching at that point can we walk back a little bit to that uh, part where you just said, oh, I, I, just, I got into university, right? Because uh, you mentioned that your, your, your uh, grades weren't that great and uh, it must have been a, a challenging time. But that's probably true for a lot of folks out there right? <laughs> where yeah. uh, they may not have the, the best scores. But what, what is that uh, kind of mindset or that process like to kind of uh, pick and choose programs or get into? Like, what was that experience? Oh, no, that was actually, uh, I would say that was the worst process ever. I don't recommend <laughs> do it my way uh, my way was just uh i would honestly describe it as just a mad dash for desperation of just i applied everywhere okay. <laughs> i just looked at it as the philosophy of um i i didn't consider myself at that time uh good enough to be picky okay so stage one was just get in and once i got in during the first year i would was going to be the best student that ever existed that was just the battle plan that was just how I was going into it and that was pretty much my uh, approach it was and I kind of go with it um and I think I take that forward into many other things that I do is sometimes that half the game is just getting into the league and then after that is put your effort in and where you start is where you start where you end up is a completely dependent on what you want to go for so I, I 
I would personally, I applied everywhere. Um, I did not expect to get into my first pick universities, uh, but by the end of grade 12, I was actually in decent standing. So I, everything I applied for, I pretty much got into. That was mind blowing to me. I didn't understand that would be a concept or a possibility, but that's kind of uh, what happened. And I chose York University and their history program because I loved history at the time and it was the uh, largest history program in Canada. So those two things seem to be a great pick. So I guess when you're at that point where now you have actually choices and, and options, uh, you didn't really, well, were you thinking about what you were going to do with your degree afterwards? Because teaching wasn't on the on the horizon yet. You're just like, nope. okay, now I have um, options and, and I pick history because whatever, or you didn't have a game plan afterwards, I guess. Uh, no, at that point, I was pretty much going, I like history. I can excel in history. So I might as well just play to my strength. Okay. <laughs> and... Um, that's kind of a, a point that I, I, I really like to uh, bring with me for everything is sometimes it's about just excelling in the thing that you're good at in a way that the world recognizes. So I don't mean uh, just, you know, give up everything just because you want to be good at X. It's uh, more of, I really enjoyed history. I could be good at history. Um, there's now a history degree. What I was going to do with that after the fact when I was done wasn't as important as if I did good at it, people would recognize it for, well, you're good at history. I assume that you're good at writing. I assume that you're good at reading and research and all these things that right. were weaknesses that now just get blended over into the manet of, well, you know, now you're qualified. Um, and because of that, I just focused on doing the best where I was. I didn't focus on the grand plan um, because being great at where I was starting was so much more important than grand strategy at this point in life. That's amazing. A, a book title comes to mind. The book's called uh, So Good They Can't Ignore You. <laughs> so yes. It seems like the, the whole premise uh, behind that. Uh, but if, if you're to, to kind of walk us through, so, so now you've made a decision to go into teacher's college and, and you're going through the process of that. Uh, what, what was the thought afterwards? Like, were you planning on going into uh, teaching kids and then somehow you got into like disaster management? What, what is that process like? Okay, so that process is also um, <laughs> a cool process, I guess. Pretty much by York University teaching um, uh, doing my uh, practicums. Okay. Okay. And during about third through fourth year, I got it in my mind that, you know, I need to wean off the supports from being dyslexic. I wanted to distance myself from the concept of it, um, okay. which meant that I wanted to do things without the supports, without the help, without all this stuff. And, um, and at that point, I went to one of the editing programs at uh, York and uh, somebody who's well-natured or well-meaning, I think, with the comment, uh, pretty much said something to the, along the lines of, uh, you're, why are you being so hard on yourself? Your people need you. And this was a weird moment that changed for me um, because up until that point, I had only been sent to poor underprivileged schools and Jane and Finch to teach under the assumption of just 
well, you know, this community needs you as a role model. And by you being there, you'll uplift these people. But then as I started teaching, um, the problem that I started facing is it started not mattering how good of a teacher I was. Uh, I will remember a student said to me, well, (laughs) sir, um, I don't need to go to university or college or anything because, you know, I'm going to become a crane operator and I'll make more money than you ever will. And I was like, you have a point, but you're also missing the point of what this structural problem is here. What, what you have is environments where um, no matter how or academically driven some students are, they might get streamed to something else. And you as the teacher are they're kind of facilitating the streaming. And I didn't like this. I didn't like this concept. I didn't, I didn't associate positively with this um, feeling of pseudo just uh, is streaming people down certain life paths, which limit them from exploring whatever full potential of what their life could be, mm. um, of them choosing so many other options. I'm not just the few options that they had in these few underprivileged schools that I was constantly stuck at or sent into. And um, at that moment, I started trying to figure out, okay, I need to do something else other than teaching. I'm, I'm going to graduate with this teaching degree. I, I don't care for the education system as it stands. Um, I need to find the spot that will allow me to have the most impact. Mm-hmm. And, you know, more I thought about it and like, well, during normal times, making structural change is very difficult. Uh, it's really challenging to get everybody to agree on what change should look like, what betterment is, what the, what all this stuff does. And I was like, you know where this doesn't apply? Maybe during disasters. After disaster, you have a great reset for all your social programs, for your education. Maybe that's where I'm going to pour my time and effort into. And so that's pretty much how I transitioned from going, um, being an educator into doing disaster management. It was that realization that me as the floor classroom teacher is still stuck within a larger structure. And the problem that I was trying to see or struggling to comprehend was that um, to change these larger structures, you need a completely different vantage point from just being the classroom teacher. Cool. So so what was that process like? So, so you did some e- education in that. And I think when we connected, you were like managing some of like the floods that were happening like up, up north and doing that sort of stuff. And then you transitioned to uh, your learning and development role and 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 some of the arm forces stuff. So, so walk us through some of those uh, okay, so, intricacies as well. So that's another great side quest of me. So yes, <laughs> when we first met, I was uh, with the Ministry of Education doing disaster management and uh, there had been some floods in the northern community, um, mostly First Nations communities, and they were being evacuated uh, further uh, south to Capiscasing and um, uh, Thunder Bay area, and they needed educational support. So I was involved in working with some of those communities and helping with um, or assisting my team as an emergency management assistant. get these students to classrooms, working with their agreements and working on continuity of operations for the ministry side. Um, but behind that was the reality that was on contract to contract. At the time I was plotting on getting married. Um, so I ended up switching over to back to my 
learning and development side uh, to uh, secure a permanent position. Uh, what I ended up switching over on that learning development side uh, was into the world of um, digital media and digital development for learning. And the reason, and these themes completely out of the blue and really random. But when I started my first summer contract as a summer student, at the time I was still finishing off my master's of disaster management at the University of Newcastle in Australia, uh, doing it through correspondence. So that's how I was here. Um, so my first project with the Ministry of Education in Disaster Management was the development of emergency management videos. And this was the development of videos for staff to know what to do when there's a fire evacuation for physical security and uh, just protocols during the different alarms for uh, building lockdown. And it was a video project. So brought in film studios, got to work with filming and editing equipment and got to do all that. So by the time I transitioned from disaster management into um my learning and development side, I had all these artistic skills. I could use Photoshop, I could do premiere editing, I could do video camera setups and lighting. So I ended up with this weird set of skills, but I'm an educator and a disaster manager, which uh, actually is about how do you get people to learn on one side and what is the process? And with those two areas, it just started flowing into all this other uh, corporate side and looking at um, how to get people through their trades, how to get um, uh, staff to better engage with communities, which is still technically disaster management uh, in my mind. It's not a flood. It's now the crisis of what do people do when they're unemployed? That's just the crisis that I switched towards looking at. And is this the area kind of what you expected to be? Because you had this revelation that, hey, when there's a disaster, I could kind of uh, in, impact all this change uh, because, well, like it's all a reset and, and all that sort of stuff. Did, did it kind of meet the expectations that, that you wanted or had in mind when you were making that switch? Um, so far, not yet. In the sense <laughs> that I don't think I've actually found that spot yet. Okay. Um, that, that you can do some of the grand thinking that, you know, I like to think about in my free time or when you watch the news or something. Um, I don't think I've found that spot, but I'm glad I haven't found that spot because I feel like if I found that spot, I'd kind of just sit there and, you know, become kind of stale. But because I don't know where that spot is, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know actually fully how you do some of that stuff. Um, I get to go on this really interesting adventure that touches on so many areas of just life. Yeah, I, I think I want to have you back to talk a little bit more about uh, kind of that education system. So if you if you had like a clean slate and you could build it exactly how you wanted it, <laughs> oh, what, what might that what might that look like? And uh, maybe you can give us a bit of a preview and then we can kind of do a more deeper dive later on. Well, oh, that's a that's a big, big, big question. I think I'm going <laughs> to leave that for another episode because I think I'd go off onto the philosophy of education. This is induction <laughs> versus exploration. Um, and then from there, go into an idea of the problem with education would be what is the nature of our labor market and what does that mean? And what does, so I, I think I, I, I'd go off on a way too large. <laughs> I will definitely come back for that. 
Yeah, I, and that's the stuff I'd probably geek out with you on anyway. So I, I'm looking forward to that conversation. So uh, take us more back into okay, you're learning development now, and then the armed forces or the reserves. Like so, uh, pretty much, uh, as um, I started doing more and more things that are learning development side, more focused on um, being creative and doing that, I, I started feeling uh, missing of some of the disaster management activities mm. um, or what I feel are some of the cool disaster management activities. I kind of miss the, uh, the quote unquote, the excitement, the, the, you know, nothing's happening. Then all of a sudden there's a flood or, Oh no, one of the buildings are having evacuation. There's a fire alert and coordinating this stuff and looking at the physical security and how do you, deal with all these cool intricacies. And um, pretty much that brought me to decide that, you know, pretty energetic, uh, have a good amount of energy. So, you know, the reserves work out to approximately or um, on web pages to four days during the week and one week in a month. And I was like, you know what, I can spare four days a week and a week and a month. It's something I'm interested in. It's um, something I wouldn't really consider work that much because, you know, I just want to show up. I really want to be involved. I want to learn and I want to be back in that world. Um, so I signed up as a non-commissioned member uh, to do HR, okay. which is something that not many people think of as the first pick when they think of joining the army. Um, but this is something that I feel that a lot of people should know about and a lot of people should have the opportunity to explore. There are great accounting positions. There are great HR positions. There are great uh, uh, computer administration positions. Um, in addition to the combat arms of artillery, armored uh, drivers or infantrymen, there's a whole plethora of, of um, jobs that exist and they're always looking for people. So often um, if you wanted an interesting start, yeah, you could go in that direction, gain all these skills and transition to the um, regular labor market because they're looking for people. Um, you just have to enjoy that environment and be eager to be there. But that's kind of where I went that direction. And after doing uh, two years as a being in um, an HR, um, a human resources administrator with my unit, I decided or an opportunity really came up uh, for a logistics officer position to which I was like, oh man, I would, I, I think I could do that. I, I have some of the knowledge. I, I've done it similar on the government side. Why don't I try out for doing that? And that's kind of how that journey went. It's pretty much, um, it's something that I, I personally am passionate about. Uh, I do enjoy disaster response and especially with this COVID environment, it's really, it's great. I'm a big history lover. I love military history. So it's a whole bunch of things that come together to be what I would describe as um, a job that I'm always eager to do. Uh, and it's nearly a nice separation from the other stuff that I do. It's a little bit of difference. It's it. And it keeps you in good shape because you have to exercise. So it's my gym membership too. <laughs> that's amazing. It sounds like that. that's probably another episode because I'm curious about... Uh, like, what is it actually about? Because a lot of people hear about joining the army and, and, and the armed forces and stuff of that. Uh, but to, to actually get a look now, it's, it's still the reserve. It's, it's not kind of the full on deployment type of thing. But yeah, it, it's, it's probably it's a good, good taste. Like the regular, it's not like the regular force army. It's, it's different in that sense, in the sense that you 
you're part-time. Um, there are full-time opportunities there uh, that, that is an option, but it, it's a good place to develop skills and it's a great place to learn. Definitely. Sounds good. So as we kind of wrap up, uh, I'd love if you could share any additional swipe, the stuff you wish you knew earlier, we went through a lot of it uh, during your uh, kind of journey, but are there any kind of topical ones that, you know, uh, I'm really passionate about this and and folks need to learn or or know this. Um, I think the the biggest one that I think people need to learn um, or that I would think of is actually, oh, I don't know how to put it into exact words. I'd say it's perspective. Um, and the reason why I say this is, I'll tell you the story to it, then I'll go into it. I re- when I was preparing for this interview and I really thought about it, I realized everything that I've done, quote unquote, or so far, that would be described in the realm of what people would consider like successful or going in a career and all that stuff, really done in the last 10 to 15 years, maybe. I've made real decisions about it. Prior to that, I don't think, I, I had any concept of what this was. Okay. And then I started thinking like, man, um, I just passed over the line towards 32. That mm-hmm. means in theory, if I'm going to live, you know, until 90, let's say that sounds good. And at that point I don't want to work anymore. Right. Sure. So I have another 60 years of this, but everything I've done is only the last 10 years. That means two really interesting things that are so cool to me. Um, one is that I can reinvent myself six more times <laughs> and have the same life that I have right now, yeah. uh, which is such a cool backdrop to think. And, you know, each time it's going to get faster because you have all this experience now. So right. you can be six other yous right. doing whatever you want. You can define what that you is. Um, and the other one that's a little bit more negative is that it's finite. So there is a cutoff. So I, I think that the big thing that I wish I knew um, earlier is that life is long and short at the same time, mm. but you have so many chances to try new things and you don't always necessarily need to rush it. So that's one thing that I, I think definitely I wish I knew. Yeah, I think that's an amazing perspective and one that uh, everyone or as many people can uh, can uh, should adopt because you're, you're right, it, it is finite, um, but you can accomplish so much in a decade, in, in six decades or in however many decades you have left. There's so many amazing things that, that, that you can accomplish. Uh, are, are there any other pieces of swike? Otherwise, uh, where can folks connect with you uh, or, or reach out if, if, they're, if they're willing to, to find out a little bit more? Um. I'm always available on LinkedIn, so you can definitely uh, reach out to me that way. Just click on a little message board and type away. Uh, I might be slow sometimes, but I tend to be pretty good at responding. Um, And through that, I'm always happy to set up Zoom calls or Skype calls and talk if anybody definitely wants any perspectives or opinions or ideas or um, thoughts. I'm always happy to give out thoughts. Um, have lots of them. Not all of them are great. Some of them aren't <laughs> that great. So far be warned. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's where I definitely would be available. Sounds good. And, and some of them uh, might go in that wall of shame type of thing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, sometimes, you know. <laughs> oh, but, but at the end of the day, uh, I'm sure people will, will learn a lot. So thanks so much, Michael, for, for joining us. And, and we're looking forward to having you back in a future episode. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.